Welcome to the 36th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer, Katie, here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now on to the episode with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guest, Tobias Carroll. I'm your host, Brian Birnbaum. I'm here today with Tobias Carroll, author of the short story collection Transitory, out with Civil Coping Mechanisms, or also known as CCM. Mm -hmm. I've actually only known it as CCM, which is funny. And the novel Real, out with Rare Bird Books. And up next for Tobias is Political Sign, a work of nonfiction, which will be out with Object Lessons series of books in 2020. Tobias writes about books, music, and food for a host of places, is the managing editor of Volume 1 Brooklyn, and writes the watch list column for Words Without Borders, which we'll, ju- we'll get into in a minute. Sometimes Tobias can be found on Twitter and Instagram. So yeah, go to his site, Tobias Carroll, and you can find him on Twitter and Instagram and read more about him. And so, yeah, should we call you Toby? You can totally call me Toby. Cool. I Great. prefer the the fancy the fancy longer first name when I write. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But I pretty much only use it there. Or, and this has even kind of gone away in recent years. Or like when my mom is really really pissed at me, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, she will still be like Tobias Carroll. But but I have not. I feel like as I've as I grow older, I've I've kind of managed to dodge the like infuriated pronunciation of. My full first name, or really my full name, by my mother, which is good. What's your yeah. middle name? Andrew. Oh, okay. So I get called Mary Catherine when I'm in trouble. Oh, I, no. f- I feel like that's a ubiquitous tendency. Like, that comes from something deep in our DNA. Like, mm. parents call kids Cause, yeah, cause by when their you're in full trouble. given names, you know? Yeah. And so I, I'm just Brian, so that oh, wow. I never... There was there was never there was not really much Brian Stephen Birnbaum. Yeah, I forget mm. your middle name, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, there was never much of that. But my parents are also deaf, so they, they you know, sometimes they would sign. Yeah, and, angrily. And, and I don't think the Stephen helps in the signing part. No. But but when they were mad, they would usually use their voice anyway. So anyway, yeah. So today's brand of fuckery is brought to you by uh, <laughs> screaming the full given and the Lord's name, whatever you want to call it. Screaming, when, screaming our names in yeah, vain. But, full yeah, name. the parental unit anger. <laughs> Your full fury, Hebrew, Christian name, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Judeo-Christian. <laughs> and, you know, all the other religions. We are, uh, you know, bipartisan here. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, let's start with Words Without Borders because sure. I want to know what it is and we'll get, into, we'll get into all that. But I'm also really curious as to how it fits in with your writing process and everything. So we'll get into all that. But yeah, let's start, let's start with what... What is Words with Borders? Uh, this, this is actually a really solid segue because I was working at the Words Without Borders table at the Brooklyn Book Festival. Words Without on, Borders. Words. I was saying Words with Borders, which it, is the antithesis. <laughs> Ka- our, our producers, I, I do not want you, Katie, to cut this because that is the <laughs> antithesis of what Words Without Borders is. And I have the word, I have it like right in front of me and I've just, and I've been reading about it all day. Were you saying writers without borders before I was saying, no, yeah. yeah. I think even more. No, you said it and then I started saying it. Okay. I think that concept's even more. But now we're back. We're back on, we're back on brand. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Writers without borders. Yes. Words without borders. Words without borders. (laughs) 
Who's on first? Brian okay, Stephen let's go. Birnbaum. <laughs> so uh, it's an organization that has been around for about, I think, 16 years. I've been writing the column for about a year and a half now. The, and the watch list column is generally... Usually it's about six books that are being published in a given month in translation. So, so yeah, it's been around for about 16 years. Oh, sorry. Watch list covers mostly fiction, also poetry, also nonfiction, also graphic novels. I would say for my own part, you know, it's, there's always the difficulty of trying to find a good balance of uh, languages, of publishers. Yeah, because well, right. yeah, let's start with like what it is, just yeah. for our, for our for our listeners that so don't know what it is. So it's it's yeah. it's again, it's a monthly column, and it's generally about six books. Sometimes there will be five, sometimes there will be seven, but usually it's 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 an even six. It's a quick description, generally taken from the publisher, of what the book will be about, what the book is about. Mm-hmm. And they're all international books. Mm-hmm. These are books that are being trans that either. In, they're in another language, and they're all being translated into they're, English? They're all in trans... The only... There was one month where I did six books in translation, and there was also a book about translation that New Directions had put out. I believe it's on Haiku. Uh-huh. And that was oh. kind of included there as sort of a bonus, where it it seemed to fit, but I also didn't want to exclude a book that was in translation mm-hmm. from the list, so... So yeah, uh, so it's yeah, it's six books generally coming out in a given month. Sometimes, you know, if a book is coming out on September 28th and it's something I really want to get in there, it might make the October list, for instance. Mm-hmm. And there's also sometimes a little bit of wiggle room with respect to books that may have one release date in the States and one overseas. Uh, there have been a few things like... I don't know if you're familiar with Tilted Axis Press. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there have been a few Tilted Axis books where usually it's stuff that's available that's easily available in the States, although I've also ordered Tilted Axis stuff from, you know, the States and mm-hmm. received it. So, you know, it's 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 a little bit of a it can be a little bit of a juggling act. Do you uh do you read or speak in any any other languages? I do not. Because I'm really I'm really always like curious about translations and it really started with Bolaño when mm. I was like younger because he was kind of the first yeah. foreign writer that I got into, and then it made me start thinking about translations. And I've always been like, I Brian really... normally hates translations. No, it's no that that's not true. It no, that's not true at all. Oh, I don't okay. hate translations. I hate the idea that I am taking. I am. It's being bastardized in any way. Even if the translator does a great job, it's the it's the sheer fact that once you go from that language, I do feel like. It's like there's a turn of phrase in every sentence, you know, especially when I'm writing. It's like, how is that being captured in the other language? And I just really wish I was getting it. And, you know, I wish I knew every language, but, you know. Well, I remember, I think it was, it. I might be misremembering this. And I have a number of friends who work for the publication in question. So I'm sure if they hear this, they're going to like, I'm going to get some angry emails. (laughs) I think it was in the first issue of The Believer. There was a conversation, I believe it was between Salman Rushdie and Terry Gilliam, and they were talking mostly oh, about Don Quixote. And I think there there was an argument in there of, I think one of them made the argument that like, that there has never really been, that it's, it's an impossible novel to translate perfectly mm-hmm. because you're going to, if you stay entirely locked in with, you know, if you translate the prose faithfully, you lose some of the style. But if you keep the style, there isn't really an English language equivalent. Mm-hmm. And there was another book, I want to say it was translated from the Gaelic, but I could be wrong about this. It was an Irish novel written in the mid-20th century that had never been translated. And then there was a New Yorker piece about it when it came out. I believe it was two different publishers published 
two oh, different wow. translations at the same time. And so it was a joint review of both of them. And it sort of made the argument that like you get the sense with one of these, you get a much richer sense of what the language was that uh-huh. was going on there and everything else. But it's a little bit more dry. And then there was one where they, they were kind of looking at this going, some of these phrases are not perhaps the uh, the profanity that a 19th century Irish woman would be using, but this also gives a sense of like the the irreverency of the prose. Yeah. So more the feeling, but less the exact. Ex- yeah. You don't remember what the book was? I am totally blanking on the name of it. I think it was a Yale University Press's series okay. in translation released it. I can try to surreptitiously Google it on we'll, my phone. We'll Google it after. Yeah, this. yeah. Who who won the review though? <laughs> um, they kind of argued that they argued that both were were worth reading and yeah. kind of okay. If you have the time. Read you both. Know. Yeah. Okay. And that's the thing, like if like with Don Quixote, it's like I I feel like that applies to every single translation. Does yeah. it not? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe See, I, like Katie's the only one in the room, I guess, that speaks another language. She mm-hmm. she reads in French too. But like I don't know. I really I mean, I'm a big fan of translation just because I think translations in general is a huge art form. You I mean, we need to get Aaron back on. Do you know Aaron Puchigian? Sounds familiar. You guys should connect. Yeah, we I should, should have a, I should introduce him to Words Without Borders because yeah. he translates from Greek and other Latin fantastic. sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he, he has like eight PhDs, so. And now, of course, <laughs> I'm wondering if I have inadvertently, if I've already like encountered some of his translation work. Could yeah, be, yeah. He does, he, does, he does a lot of Greek classic translations but he's uh, working on a what what is it gender and sex in or no an lgbtq yeah yeah like like uh, like coffee table book with oh, yeah wow. translation yeah, of lgbtq greek texts and stuff yeah, and putting with them like in photos context and, and everything yeah, yeah we're really excited about it yeah but about translations it's like one of those things where like i can't th- there's no way i could say i hate them because like I, you can't be for or against translations they're just necessary right like yeah. if i want to read bolaño for example mm-hmm. and i can't read spanish that's it. Yeah. Like, right. It's like my feeling comes from the just desire. I like, I feel like that conversation about Quixote can just be applied to any translation. Is there anything else you want to say about your column? Like, is there anything upcoming or is there, or like, it's, I mean, it's every month. So I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of waiting. Generally I will submit to, uh, or I will submit a list of books that I'm interested in to Jesse Chafee and then she will kind of get back to me to make sure that the books that I'm writing about are not being covered elsewhere because there are longer reviews published Mm -hmm. there will be excerpts and interviews and things like that published so there's generally just a sense of you know making sure that the six works that I'm covering in a given month are not also being duplicated elsewhere. And again, it's, it's, it's always a challenge because it can be a challenge to, uh, you know, there may be a large number of books being published in translation, but I also don't want to do a column where it's six books being translated from French yeah. or mm-hmm. Spanish, which I feel like very much are the lar- you know, sure. are the largest two. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sometimes if, if I'm doing a book where it's a book translated from the Spanish and the author is Spanish and a book being translated from the Spanish and the author is Mexican, if it's kind of a multi, you know, if, if I'm dealing with multiple nations, multiple continents, sure. mm-hmm. then it's a, it's a much different thing, but it's kind of, especially when just in a given, you know, I'm limited to what's coming out in a given month generally. So sometimes it can be really really frustrating when there isn't necessarily, you know, it's very much like the languages, you know, the, the languages where there are sort of an abundance of translators rather than, you know, sort of a, 
one that really fully reflects the number of literary works that are being written in languages around the globe. Yeah. How did you come upon this like editorial gig? I had interviewed an author for Words Without Borders, and basically the person who had previously been doing the watch list uh, shortly afterwards announced that they were kind of stepping down from yeah. it. And so they offered it to me, and I said yes. Is that a volunteer gig, or is it a paid gig? It's a paid gig. Yeah. That's great. Uh, We're always asking all the writers that come on how they Uh fund their lives. (laughs) I think I've made like almost $500 in my life off writing. So that's pretty (laughs) fucking awesome. (laughs) Were you going to ask your question? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Mm. we have two of the biggest fans of uh, Laszlo. What is it? Krasnorkai? I I can't even say. I can't say his last (laughs) And so he got his come up through Doctors Without Borders. I'm just kidding. That was, yeah, that was a fucking terrible <laughs> joke. <laughs> I just refuse to even try at this point, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like they're, they're huge fans. Oh, nice. Yeah, like massive, massive fans. Yeah, when did he... I mean, Melancholy of Resistance is like your ass favorite book by him, yeah. right? Yeah, And that, that came have out... Have you read that? I think that's the one of his I've read. I have not read nearly enough of his work. I mean, it's not easy. That's yeah. that's probably the one that I think most people have read. But like, yeah. Although I think it's very funny that this book that's coming out, that's one long sentence. What's it called? Ducks oh, New- Ducks Newer Report? Yeah. And like people are freaking it's out Lazo. that it's one. No, 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 no. No, no, It's no, this no. woman. What's her name? Ellen something? Oh, yeah. Lucy, Lucy Elman? Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that right? Okay. I think so, yeah. So the book's one long sentence, uh-huh. and like people are freaking out about it, and I'm like, Laszlo K over here has been doing this stuff yeah, for yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's actually, when I was reading, when I was reading Melancholy, like I, that was one of the books where I was like, I kind of got frustrated because I was like, I want this. I wish I could read it in the original language. Yeah. yeah. Like it just felt like I could just feel it. Like I could just feel I wasn't getting the thing that like, I don't know. I'm so I'm so about language. Well, that, Hungarian would be a cool you know, language to know too. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, just looking at Laszlo's name, it's like look at all those and so what, so accents what, so above what, the above the letters. It's like it just looks so rich. Yeah. <laughs> so what Brian's asking is. Do you have contact with Laszlo? <laughs> I think that's what Katie's I asking. do not. No. I mean, <laughs> I, no. I mean, I, I guess I could. I have a press contact at New Directions, so I, I, you know, probably could, if nothing else, send an email and get a galley of the book. Oh, but God. beyond that, oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> but see, I, in my head, I imagine him to to never own a computer and to only write things in like a quill and ink. On parchment paper in like the dusky caves of Hungary somewhere. Yeah, his 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 photo. <laughs> I think I need that that picture. I can in my see head. him. I can see him with like a pretty, pretty cool typewriter though. His photo Maybe. is pretty. In a cave. Look though. at this photo. He's just like he's kind of like got a smirk. He's like dim, like he, he's got like sly eyes and he's got a cigarette <laughs> just like right here. Is that a cigarette? No, that's not even. That's not a cigarette. It is. It is a cigarette. Is it George R. R. Martin who like? Still writes using like, no, no, I'm sorry. Is he it's, still alive? That's he is. Thing. No, that's a better I was, question. <laughs> I was conflating George R. R. Martin with John McPhee, who I think it still writes about how he has like this very primitive computer program that he has used since like the early eighties. Oh uh-huh. wow! As like his word processor, and like it was in one of his more recent books where he's writing about it, and like this sounds like where he's. It's basically him talking about how it's like the only word processing software he's ever learned he's ever like learned to write on and he uses it for everything and i'm just like this is 
It's one of those things where it's it's interesting to see how, like, at some point must have been the most state-of-the-art word processing thing. Right. And now it's like, yeah, it feels like reading a dispatch from, like, a steampunk universe. Uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. and the fact that he hasn't had any, like, any, you know, malfunctions to his computer and hasn't had to go get it fixed, if there would be a person today that could fix that maybe he has, him. Maybe he has someone that just, like, gets, like, the software installed into his new laptops or something it could be like he has some mdos program that, or yeah whatever. yeah yeah that's definitely gonna be me like every time they update microsoft word i get pissed off yeah. <laughs> i've definitely moved away from like for the longest time I, I worked on word and then for a while i was using this very bizarre i was using the web-based word on like a laptop and on uh on a tablet and I've recently begun doing more. I've started doing more and more in Google Docs just because. Yeah, I've moved everything into Google Docs mm, now. It's mm, easy. Like I'll I, never do it. I use Pages a lot on my desktop because. I hate Pages. It's just I, so newfangled. You yeah. guys are just. <laughs> you guys are so gauche. <laughs> <laughs> I think since since I, I started using a Chromebook about five years ago, and I think that was also kind of the thing where. It's still a bummer because there was, there was a software, there was like an Android app that Google bought and sort of folded into Google Docs and Sheets and everything, and for the and that was what I used for the longest time, and I really really liked that. And the, and I again would have the last two jobs I had before I started freelancing full time. I would basically I had an Android tablet and I had a Bluetooth keyboard. Mm. I still use the Bluetooth keyboard, uh, but the the Android tablet I don't really do much writing on anymore because. The Chromebook is about the same weight as the two combined, mm-hmm. but uh, I would just, you know, after the workday would end, especially the last last job I had that basically was a job that was so frustrating. I was like, I am going to freelance full time because honest, and I know it's like a weird leap into the unknown, but that still seems far better than like doing this for any yeah more than I am now. What were you doing before? I was. Or you don't want to say. <laughs> I will say I was doing web development work for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Oh, Lord. And I was doing it right around the time of uh, of Bridgegate. What's Bridgegate? Oh, that's... that's oh, uh, the, yeah. the Chris Christie thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Ooh. Also, yep. Port Authority, one of the biggest rivals to Robert Moses' empire. Mm. That, I will say that. Just fun fact, Brian just finished The Power Broker a couple weeks ago, oh, nice. a few, about yeah, a month ago. <laughs> yeah, anyway, just had yeah. to drop that in. My, my personal favorite, the one... Really cool thing, though, that I learned from my time with the Port Authority that I had no idea was before. I was like, I grew up in central Jersey, so mm-hmm. generally driving up to New York would frequently involve, especially, like, I had a car for the first couple of years I lived in Brooklyn, so when I would be coming and going from visiting family, I would go through Staten Island, you know, drive up, go through Staten Island, go to Brooklyn over the Verrazano and I would always take the outer bridge crossing, and I was always like, "Oh, because it's the outermost bridge, right?" Mm-hmm. No, it's there was a dude named Eugenius Outerbridge. Eugenius Outerbridge. Eugenius Outerbridge. That's quite a name. Which like seems like the sort of thing that like you would encounter in like a sub David Foster Wallace. Yeah. Like <laughs> I was literally about to say a postmodern. That's the yeah. most postmodern it's name like, I could think of. Like Eugenius Outerbridge uh, yeah. strode into the Starbucks. Yeah. Like nope. Real dude, there was a bridge named after him, Eugenius Outerbridge. Yeah. Uh, I and and I gotta I gotta hand it to Eugenius Outerbridge. Because, uh, <laughs> I would pro- Eugenius Outerbridge. I kind of want to use that name for something. Yeah, I yeah. think 
I think everyone should use that name or something. <laughs> and just go, going back to word processing. Mm. Yeah, one thing is, first of all, Alexa's probably listening to everything we're saying. <laughs> and so when you got Google Docs on, yeah. the NSA is probably reading everything you're fucking reading. <laughs> Could be. In, in this particular case, it's like they're like, oh, great, someone's writing weird, yeah, I was weird fiction. Say, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They want to read my fiction and maybe drop in some notes. The data, like, man, <laughs> the buzzwords, they're, they're on you, man. Who knows what they got these days? And uh, in Book of Numbers by Josh Cohen, basically the... I don't want to spoil it. I don't no, want to spoil okay. it. All Never right. mind. Okay. All right. I need to okay. read that. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely as it's as difficult a book as you're going to read. Yeah. You know, but I, 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 I really enjoyed it. I, th- I thought it needed some more drafts. I've read... Especially the first and sec- third sections, because the, the second is like purely brilliant. I've read the novella collection that Grey Wolf did a couple of years ago, A Heaven of Others and Vitz, and like I was floored by Vitz, but it was also it felt at times like a book I was wrestling. What are, what are mm-hmm. these? What I've, I've never oh, heard of his, these uh, his his couple of his early his earlier novels. Josh Collins. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Vitz is this just like mammoth book about Judaism and it's actually the one thing that like I saw a lot of things where it's like it's this like epic work on Judaism and culture and everything else but it's also one of the most New Jersey books I've ever read Uh uh where I was just like y'all didn't tell me this was like gonna have scenes set at like Garden State Parkway rest stops Uh like Uh I would have gotten to this like two months earlier Uh if you told me that Um, yeah yeah I feel like he's our he's like the great American Jewish writer his newest novel is like Something King's like the moving kings or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's about a moving company. Like everything in a, every book he writes is like with Jewish characters, mm-hmm. you know, except for honestly, like book of numbers, except for the biblical reference kind mm. of, you know, anyway, so we can't meet Laszlo, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> it's a bummer. Maybe we'll break galley. it to David later. <laughs> um, I'll find another way. Yeah. I mean, I even think La- David named a character in his upcoming novel. After yeah, it basically Laszlo. is after Laszlo, yeah, yeah. amazing. And because Laszlo is kind na- of a nihilist, he named the like, character you know. just to plug it, Laszlo Catastrophe. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I feel like melancholy is not nihilistic, but it is absurd. It's absurd to but the point where like, hyperbolically, like, like asymptotically, approaches nihilism. Mm. It is one of the best last pages or couple pages mm, of a book yeah. i think but D- david's book is very also asymptotically approaches the axis of nihilism so <laughs> anyway so you also work for volume one brooklyn mm-hmm. though yeah can you talk about what you do over there sure you get, you get paid for that too that is it is an entirely volunteer right, cool. operation We're about to kick you out then so <laughs> uh, you make too much money as a writer yeah, right. as it is <laughs> So, so yeah, uh, Jason Diamond started that 10 or 11 years ago now. And yeah, I've kind of been around since the early days. Uh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Base, I mean, we publish Sunday stories, which are generally fiction or memoir uh, every Sunday. We do bi-weekly essays on Wednesdays. And then other than that, interviews with writers, with editors, sometimes musicians, Mm. other sort of book reviews, critical pieces. Uh-huh. It's crazy to me how like in a decade, Volume 1 Brooklyn has become one of those staples in like the literary <clears throat> scene now in just like 10 years. And mm-hmm. it seems like that's almost impossible. And I, and I really respect like journals, you know, yeah. what have you, because it really is a labor of love. Like no one's getting paid. I, yeah. I asked you that out of, you know, out of jest. Like, like, like yeah. no one gets paid for that. And whenever someone starts to think about starting their own, most of the people I talk to say as soon as they started looking into it, they were like, fuck that. I'm not doing this. Like, yeah. you know, so I do have a lot of respect it's, for journals. Yeah. 
it can be a fr- it's 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 a weird thing because it's like for me as someone who writes for money if nothing else i try if someone reaches out and says you know hey are you looking for a review of this i will try to be very upfront and say mm-hmm. like we don't pay but like i'm also this isn't a case of me going you're not getting paid it's kind of like nobody you know in this yeah no one here gets paid you know, and if someone wants to send in a couple of reviews so they can build up clips and then mm-hmm. you know you know, I've I've been very happy to see a number of folks who like we've published, you know, have gone on to, you yeah. know, parlay that into very high profile reviewing work, which which I'm always very happy at, where it's like, good, yeah, you, yeah. you you know, you you got the thing. And is that what you mostly oversee at volume one? It's it's a little bit of everything. I mean yeah. it's Honestly, a lot of it, it's it's something where the more I can kind of get scheduled out or, you know, mm-hmm. it became a lot easier when I started, you know, keeping track of stuff in Google Calendar. But it's still like it can be a lot just because it's like I am kind of our our story review group. So it's oh, okay. it more often than not ends up just being me taking sort of hunkering down for a night and just being like, all right, I'm going to go through like several dozen yeah. fiction submissions right now. There's and a lot of people on the team though, right? There are. I mean, it's, it definitely goes through flux and I think yeah. it's, yeah. So it's, it's a lot of. Yeah. Well, we try and tell people like, you know, especially writers who are trying to build up that portfolio, like you're talking about writing reviews for other writers is mm-hmm. like, is literary karma in the bank. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean like. That's we, basically how, how, like how I started. Yeah. Is, is doing reviews. Yeah. yeah. All the I, people, I didn't even do, I haven't even done that many. I might maybe have done like six, five or six. And then then all the people whose books you reviewed, you know, I reached out to and I was like, hey, Brian wrote this review of your book like a few years ago. Can you review his book now? And they were like, absolutely. And so like it does it does come full circle. Mm -hmm. It's a tricky thing, too, because, well, there was I I feel like uh, when I want to say it was the the millions got bought by I want to say. Was it Publishers Weekly a few months ago? Was it? Yeah, Publishers? I heard about that. It was uh, somebody. I can't remember. Yeah, I heard. I heard. I heard about that. They also just got under a new director or something like yeah. last year or something, right? Yeah. yeah. But it, it was interesting because there was a lot of sort of there was a lot of discussion of you know was the millions kind of the last like literary website of a certain both prominent and pedigree yeah and i think and i think that's <laughs> like true. let's just come out and say it like yeah. you know yeah like uh what's i mean i think the, yeah. million, the millions can do like the millions interview with you know yeah they just had the millions interview with you if mm-hmm. yeah right? which was very surreal yeah i was like i'd never thought i'd be in the millions you know i was like man like i remember reading like stuff from my professor garth hallberg you know who oh, nice. published city on fire like yeah. him doing a profile on another of my, fa- my favorite writers Sergio here we go again. <laughs> what yeah here we go here we go again it is it is a running joke that I will mention Sergio or Susanna De La Pava on every single episode, and I, it gets weirder every single time. <laughs> can I can I share my really embarrassing Sergio De La Pava yes. story? Oh my god, you're the first person who's had like a response to like that name um, when I like when I weirdly just <laughs> bring it up. So uh, last last year I interviewed him for long reads about about his then new novel, uh-huh. which Lost, I loved. Em- Lost Empress, right? Lost yeah, Empress, yeah. which I loved. Brilliant. I reviewed. I reviewed it for 3 a.m. Yeah, it was fuck. I fucking love that. Yeah, book. yeah. Like I, I still haven't read. I've read Naked Singularity and yeah. Lost Empress. I haven't read the one in the middle yet. Which Persona. Persona yeah. yeah, I like uh, his first and third the most. But Persona. Sergio stands over here. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Persona's got the biggest departure in tone. Oh, interesting. It's very like almost. It's very austere in some hmm. ways. But anyways, continue. I'm trying to imagine his his approach to fiction blend 
but done in an austere way. And yeah, it's, it's, kind it's of more more austere, but like yeah, it is. It's very different than than his others. So so I've been doing interviews probably for you know over twenty years. I mean, I kind of started out my sort of foray into interviewing was basically doing a punk scene when I was in college, and I think a lot of what I do now kind of just is a is a direct outgrowth from that in many many ways which I can go into but I have always had and I've gone through a number of different digital recorders the one I currently have is about 10 years old at some point probably need to buy something as a I mean I have my phone as a backup right now but I also like the idea of not of having a dedicated recorder Mm -hmm. as opposed to just same we have you know so generally I will just like put the phone on speaker hit record on the recorder, talk. And, you know, I'm interviewing Sergio at like eight o'clock on a Friday night because that was like when he could with his with his schedule. Mm-hmm. We have a lengthy, sprawling conversation. I thank him for his time. Oh, you I think hit, I know where this hit is stop. Going. And I send it, I use like an online transcription service. So I send it, I hit it in, send it in, and I was going to go over and see like a friend's band play. Uh-huh. And I'd like, five minutes later, I get a thing back that's like, hey, uh, so there's no usable audio on this. Oh, and I'm like, God. I knew this is where this was going. And I kind of, press play and I'm like and there's just 40 minutes of static oh god my stomach is not feeling well and I realized that at some point (laughs) the external microphone had gotten a little bit loose so it was just rather than recording it was like Uh never happened to me before and I'm just like and I'm like first I feel terrible second I was just like well I've just lost this really cool assignment because I feel like with most writers, most writers do not have like the uh, super intense day jobs that he does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was, I was like, about to say because you, when you said eight, 8 p.m. on a Friday night, is yeah. because he handles a billion fucking cases at like yeah as a as a as a public defendant. Oh, so I'm just like I send this like incredibly apologetic email to. Uh, to, to his publicist, I'm like, I, I'm so sorry. You know, if he doesn't want to do this again, I completely understand. Like, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah. And then I get an email back, like, the next day. It's like, oh, totally fine. We can reschedule it for, like, next Tuesday. And it's like, oh. Yeah, they're, like, the most generous people ever. Yeah, right. But, no, they, oh they, my they God. really are. Yeah, I, know. I Every time we record a podcast or do something, I always have like one moment where I'm like, is everything going to disappear? <laughs> and I'm going to have to call this person and be like, you got to come back. Ugh, yeah. I feel for you so much, man. That fe- Oh, that must have been awful. It was, I mean, it was a good it's, conversation and it was very weird because I was, tr- didn't want to just have, try to replicate that yeah. conversation. Yeah. But at the same time, there was probably a lot of good morsels there. And it's like, oh, yeah. man, that's rough. There were a couple of like... So rough. Cut from the transcript, there were a couple of like, well, as we said in our last iteration of this conversation, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, the, God. <laughs> is, that, is that probably like your worst freelance moment? No, no. My worst freelance moment... My worst freelance moment was I had a very last minute interview with Orhan Pamuk. Oh, I don't know who that is. Turkish writer. Was it for um, it was Doctors for... Without Borders? No, no. <laughs> Doctors. Words Without Borders. It was for I, I got it now. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> it was for Hazlitt. And ba- basically, I just like ran into subway trouble. And like, it was the sort of thing where he had like this very narrow window. And I just like hit subway issues like hit like subway problem after subway problem and Uh like uh had like 12 minutes to talk to him and it was just like he himself however 
thankfully, thankfully, he was a very, very, he was very kind. He was just like, would you like some tea? Like, take a deep breath. <laughs> like, we don't fucking have time for that. <laughs> you know? uh, so yeah, it was that. that don't you see how much very... I fucked up? You're offering me tea. <laughs> Why are you being so nice? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and I think, thankfully, like he's also someone who, because he's been writing for so long, you know, you can kind of ask him something and he will give you back this like yeah. lovely, like miniature essay, perfectly sort of calibrated in response. It's like, okay, great. So that was kind of, that was like, I think my most, my most personally nightmarish just because it was <laughs> like the logistics of it also involved like editors talking to publicists, talking to publicists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then publicists and other publicists all being very angry with me because I was not there on time. Oh. So, yeah. Well, you've, you've had so much experience with like big name writers, different writers out there. I don't know. Is there one in particular that like, like one interview or view or feature or anything that you've done that was just like particularly like awesome and that you still like after, after time or excited about oh, wow i um, really want you to say the one that didn't that didn't get recorded with <laughs> <Sylvia>. <laughs> the one that never was <laughs> i totally feel on the spot right now so i'm like oh god i don't uh, know fair enough we can um, come back to it yeah yeah i will actually say this is this is um this is just one that's coming to mind a couple of years ago i interviewed conan jones for volume one and that was just a really, that was a really enjoyable conversation just, yeah. you know, in terms of just like we met up at like a coffee shop near Lincoln Center and just like had this incredibly long sprawling conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was, that was a pretty, that was a pretty is, enjoyable. Is there one. anything in particular about that interview or, or do you just remember the feeling? More the feeling. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, it's like there, knock on wood, I don't think I've had a lot of interviews that I would consider bad. Mm-hmm. For our listeners, Toby actually just knocked on wood. So. <laughs> <laughs> there were a there single were, tap. <laughs> there were a few. There were a few that like. There was one where it, it got off to a really awkward start mm-hmm. because the the person I was interviewing, who is like, he's a very talented writer and translator and editor, like like any of which just on his own he would be fantastic at. But the fact that he has all three, uh, mm-hmm. this is a uh, the author Ken Lu, author and editor and translator Ken Liu. And he uh, and I, I think the first question I asked him was something that he had been asked a lot. So he was kind of like, well, as I've said, you know, in a number of other interviews when Aww. asked this, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> I fucked up. That's a punk move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we won't call him out for that. Uh-oh. Yeah. Eh, I'll just say so, it. I, I would never do that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, you know, and and I will say the rest from there. The rest of the interview was was perfectly fine, but I just very yeah. much felt because it's like you're talking to someone who is, you know, who is, you know, again, like I think one of the anthologies of like Chinese science fiction that he's edited was and translated. It was kind of just began with him just literally translating, you know, sort of translating short stories because nobody else was doing them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, cool. you know. That's a that's a heck of a thing. Yeah, uh, that's really so, cool. So yeah, it's a, he he was very much a formidable a formidable presence. And there have definitely been I'm trying to think there have been some other folks where it's kind of like oh my god, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, we definitely hit some like you know we've been doing the podcasts for a while and obviously like the reading series too. Like you're always gonna get we've had some moments where we were just like 
this is happening right now at I the mean, reading even, series. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, even we, we just did uh, one with um, Sugi Ganeshanathan and, uh, and Whit Terrell. Hmm. And, like, just even just with people from, like, the Iowa workshop, hmm. I was like, are you getting there? I was like, who the fuck am I? <laughs> like, you know? Well, that was more because you were intimidated because they are yeah. so pedigreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, they're, yeah. and, like, they're, they're super intelligent people yeah, but right, no i just right. meant like in general like we've had some people like up on stage who it's just like went off the rails on the mic oh, or something I see what you're talking or, yeah, 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 yeah 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 things yeah, like right, that right, 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 yeah right, where yeah. we were just like okay we're in this this is awkward but we're yeah, gonna we're gonna nothing, just yeah, yeah there's nothing you can do so we're just gonna own it <laughs> oh yeah you know something that really bothers me i'm just gonna say this right now is when there's an allotted amount of time Mm. I just experienced this recently and like people just totally disregard it. And we've talked about, I think we talked about this recently on like a podcast or something, but yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyway, yeah, let's, uh, I I want to, well, yeah, Tobias, you, when did you read? That was a number of years ago. Yeah. I want to say at least two, two and a half, maybe. I think that's the last time I saw you. Mm. I want to say, yeah. I tried to find, because we write personal bios for everybody. I tried to find your bio, but I think actually Devin might've written it. Mm. And said it, so I think he he's the owner of that somewhere. I, I still have the uh, the pencil sketch of me done while I was reading. Somebody did the... a pencil sketch of mm-hmm. you. Oh, that's cool. Do you remember who it was? I don't. Oh. I had never seen them before. I never saw oh, them yeah. again. But oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Well, but, we're, yeah, I've been talking about uh, other writers. Do we want to? I was going to ask if you wanted to talk about your work a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Was, that's what I was going to oh, do. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. One of the yeah. number nine ten. She owes me a coke. Um, <laughs> Yeah, before you do a reading, what are you working where, on? Yeah, yeah, where you where you're coming, like where how you started, where you coming from, all that all all that good stuff that you usually ask people who write. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, I think every book has been very different. Yeah. I mean, Transitory was a collection of short stories, and that was probably the one that came together the most easily, just because it was a question of like looking at short stories I had published, figuring out which of them worked well together figuring out what order they went in, and then after it had been accepted for publication, talking with Michael Seidlinger from Civil Coping Mechanisms about Mm -hmm. potentially adding a couple more to it and then getting two more stories in there and just figuring out where they went. So you only added two to the the already published collection? Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, Yeah. yeah, that was... I mean, because it was it was sort of... It had been submitted during, you know, their sort of open call for submissions, so... I like that though because yeah. because most of the stuff that I've published has, have been essays and like I've kind of wanted to put out a collection of essays so I kind of nice. like the idea of already having a body of work out there and, yeah. and like creating a theme you know I thought that's cool I like that there there are definitely like I don't know if you're familiar with the writer John Langan who mm-hmm. writes these mm-hmm. like immaculately structured very literary horror stories sounds like a a better version of Stephen King I also really <laughs> like Stephen King so. yeah I'm sorry to offend it's, you no no uh, he is such a, he's like to me I'm gonna say this I have to now like I think he's such a good writer I just fucking hate the way he like portrays horror like i would mm. i like when he's writing about his characters it's so good mm. and then when he gets to the horror elements i'm like you have a fucking cosmic turtle that stretches <laughs> towards infinity oh and i'm God, just like i, forgot about I was like part. i'm like what the fuck is this anyway i'm sorry i know you love him i'm i just and honestly i, I love him too like you know from i, I can see a copy of, of it uh, yeah behind yeah. you on i think i read it like last year or something and I finished it. Yeah. I'm not a fucking punk. Like, I'm finishing. I, I finish it. <laughs> like, I see it through. 
Was transit <laughs> you? You must have read from Transitory. I remember you yeah. read a very funny short story. Do you remember what you read? I do not. Unfortunately, yeah, I know. Do you don't remember if it was from tra- Transitory. I think it I must have been, right? I yeah. think it was, but although I also, it might have been long enough after it was published that I was like, I have a weird sense though that it might have also been one where I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is gonna be my first time reading something that's not mm. from either book. Could be. Just because I had, I had been doing a lot with that. Like, mm-hmm. Did you and Dolan Morgan read it the same night? I feel like maybe that was the case, but maybe it wasn't. Did we? Hmm. I don't know. There, there's so a weird ago. part of me. There's a weird part of me that thinks we didn't, if only because I probably would have headed back at the same because we live like two blocks apart in Greenville. Oh, really? So that uh, yeah, and you probably would have remembered because the first time I saw Dolan read, he read this story about this giant and like this woman who wanted to fuck this giant. And it was like, and me and Devin looked at each other and we were like, this is literally the best story I've ever heard in my life. And the way he read it, it was like, dude, it was, and she was like doing laundry and thinking about this giant fucking her. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> actually, I'm trying to think the, the weird thing is I actually have, I do have a past reading section on my website, which is more for my own reference than anyone else's. So I'm like, Ooh, I can I'll, confirm maybe that. I'll look. I'm, I'm on it right now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what's political sign about? So political sign is, um, your next one coming out in 2020. Mm-hmm. It's, and I uh, also like the, I, like it's coming out with like the, this editor, this press, it's just like, it seems interesting to me. Yeah. So political sign is, ba- I mean, it's part of the object lesson series of books. So like Summer Brandon's done one, Alison Kinney, a whole bunch of writers I like have, have done work in this series. And it's uh-huh. basically like a 30,000 word, more or less long book about a given object. So, I mean, they've had everything oh. from yeah, yeah. hotel, like Joanna Walsh did a book on hotels. Um, there's been one on So they're all kind of like treatises? Is that like kind of what it, it's a, like you you kind of focus in on like Yeah. I mean I mean it's kind of eponymous object yeah. object lessons. And know? there are definitely I think different there the the approaches are that I've seen have been very different. I mean I I don't know that like you know I think at some point I was I said to someone who had sort of more of a music background I was like it's kind of like the 33 and a third series but like for any object you might find in the world or sort of any abstract concept you I might was find about in the to world. ask you that literal phrase because I'm now thinking of the weather monograph that I'm going to write <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I'm obsessed with uh, winter weather. Oh, nice. And so for all my weather nerds out there, Paul Kosen, I'm coming for you. Okay, anyway, continue. <laughs> so so the the very sort of condensed version is that, I mean, they have an open call for submissions. Uh-huh. So I had submitted a proposal for them, and then that sort of evolved and went through various permutations and ended up being selected for publication. So I'm in the middle of working on that right now. Mm-hmm. I leave for a residency for the month of October where the bulk of what I'm going to be working on is that uh, I was for the second half of August, I was at a residency where I was doing a fair amount of work on, uh, on the, uh, on this as well, both getting some writing done and getting some structural things figured out. And uh, I've never written, this is the longest nonfiction work I'm going to, I've ever written. Um, mm-hmm. When I was writing up the proposal for it, I was very keen to, uh, structurally speaking, keep each of the chapters fairly self-contained mm-hmm. because I feel like just, f- especially with, you know, having to get 
a draft in fairly quickly. If I think of this as like eight 3,500 word essays, Mm -hmm. that's a lot more manageable than like one, you know, 30,000 word book. Mm -hmm. Structurally coherent 30,000 word book. And so, so the object is political signs. Yeah. And so are there like the, each of the eight on a different political sign? How does it work? I have to ask, is the swastika in there? It's not. I mean, there are still, there are still things that are going to be written. So it, it might get in there. Um, Confederate flag. I'm asking about if there's any like super like touchy subjects, basically. There are definitely going to be some, some touchy subjects. Yeah. I think with it, I'm trying to, I think at least as of right now, it's, going to be somewhat idiosyncratic in places just mm-hmm. because I'm the person writing it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of beginning with like political, it sort of began out of an idea of riffing on like political yard signs and billboards. That's what I was thinking. And the sort of ephemeral yeah. aspect of things. I see. I see. But it's going to other, like, I think there's going to be a chapter on protest signs. There's going to be, oh, cool. at least as of in this current incarnation, you know, there's going to be something about like what happens when like protest signs or political signage become viewed in the context of art or history as opposed to sort of the more immediate uh, evaluation of them. So right, it's right, kind right. of that's interesting. <clears throat> yeah, so it's going to be a lot of different takes on this. I realized when I was doing at this residency in August that I was beginning to use research as a little bit of a of a procrastination mechanism. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, but I have to find about this and this and this mm-hmm. and it this can become, too. It, it can become addictive. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was talking to a new friend of mine, this guy, Chris Wood, mm. who came to our launch party and we've become friends since. We have a lot of similar interests and he was talking about how accruing knowledge can it become its own form of addiction. Like, yeah. you know. And I was like, I totally get that. Like, I can find myself on Reddit or, like, Wikipedia or some more reputable source. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, just I, digging into something. And it's like, wait, but what am I actually writing here? <laughs> like, you know. Do you have anything on MAGA in there? Uh, there's, I think it's kind of going to culminate with, like, I think, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion of, like, the, the MAGA hats. And also the the Shepard Fairey Hope print that sort of came before yeah. it. I was gonna say MAGA is like a palimpsest because there's it's it's been something that's been used in so many different in so many different iterations of the yeah, like Reagan varying used varying it, forms Biden of the same it. thing. Like going yeah. back to like the you know you know Brexit did the same thing. Yeah, that their, their message was the same thing, like in a different form. Yeah, you know. So it'll be 2020. Yeah, I think I mean at some point before the election in 2020. Mm. Oh, yeah. is is kind of is the Possible. best. Yeah. yeah, you got to get it out before the election. Uh-huh. I didn't yeah. even think about that, but that's good. That's good publicity yeah. right there. Yeah. Well, what are you going to read for us today? So I'm going to read. I actually had a short story come out in an anthology very recently. The UK based press Dostoevsky wannabe. Ooh. Oh, I love that name. I've never heard of that press, but that's press, fucking awesome. The press does <laughs> some really, really Great stuff. Dostoevsky um, wannabe. That's great. <laughs> they, uh, they, didn't, they did an anthology of very short fiction inspired by the music of the Buzzcocks and Pete Shelley. Not um, familiar. Okay. And basically, I think there, there was, they had reached out to some writers and there was an open call for some, and I submitted something to the open call. And they said yes. And the book is now, I believe, available wherever books are sold. Oh, cool. And I, my contributor copy arrived in the mail yesterday and i was very very happy to see it and there are some fantastic fantastic writers in it now i'm mm. gonna have to order so, this so yeah i want to check it out so can i uh, yeah can I give whenever this a go? you're go ready yep. all right so this is called erased pop songs and other righteous wakes 
Good title. Of course we did it analog. Of course it was a volunteer operation. Of course it was carried out in secret, in a cavernous room after hours, a night shift confluence conducted under neon lights, with chalkboards and notebooks in hand. We aimed to preserve the forgotten songs we knew we couldn't forget, but couldn't remember hearing. It was complicated. The topic of remembering was always the topic of discussion. Here we stood or sat, charts and records in hand, looking for something undetectable, something imperceptible. The notion of a pop song that erased itself from memory, the idea of an absence where sound waves should be. The image of someone building a road before them and dismantling it once they've crossed it, essentially. We were looking for the ghost of that road, but in sonic form. Does that make sense? That was the goal. Trying to talk about this phenomenon outside of the room was always awkward. Those of us there understood what we sought. We pored over track listings and singles charts, looking for discrepancies, placeholders, errata. We made change logs and revision notes. We looked at lyric sheets and bootlegs and typed up notes from radio sessions. Sometimes, in soundproof alcoves, We'd sing snatches of the songs we thought we almost remembered in the hopes that something might spark some sort of recollection in something else. Nothing ever sparked anything, but we kept at it. There has to have been something there, right? There has to have been some pop song at the start of it all, a pop song that slowed off its skin and left a wake and a blank spot to sing along with. We sought that blank spot, and we sought that melody, And we wanted nothing more than to get it back in our heads. That song that earwormed its way in so well it crossed itself out. That sound we couldn't wait to never forget again. And that's it. Ooh, that's, yeah, that border. Would you call that flash? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would certainly call it flash. I love the idea of of a short story, especially as, like, just like a contained enigma, you know? I really like that. It's like, it's just, it is itself a contained mystery, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's a it's it's kind of just like this. It also it, yeah, it feels like a like a lyrical path that just doesn't stop when the story ends, you know. Yeah. I, I, I like that kind of uh style. Definitely. I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of a so to speak analog right mm. now, but it's kind of escaping me. There's some I mean, I brought up Bolaño earlier. Some of his short stories are like that too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah. in it written in a different style than you obviously, yeah. but yeah. Well, it's like one of my one of one of the stories that I really enjoyed writing that was intransitory was there's one story in there that sort of uh, it was originally written I had been given a prompt by another writer to kind of write something about a fictional film and getting to write something about a fictional film was definitely you know a a fun thing to kind of do and sort of create this whole alternate mythology around that and I think there was a little of that uh, when I was writing my novel Real that that also mm-hmm. came to mind in terms of like dealing with these weird historical artifacts and mm-hmm. cultural artifacts and everything else. Uh, the novel I was I was working on after Real that has not come out yet. There's a novel called X Members that's dealing in part with a music scene in a fictional town in northwestern New Jersey. And so getting into that involved like creating again like creating fictional artists and creating mm-hmm. fictional musicians and getting to play with that and getting to play to 
much like in this story with the passage of time. Uh, one of the things that was fun about writing this was I, for whatever reason, because I because I am very much seeking to write a super commercial fiction, I have sort of embraced the <laughs> novella as uh, as form. And, I like, love novellas. Oh, I do too. Yeah. But I've definitely gotten the like, this is great, but it's, I mean, this even happened with Real, which is not a particularly long novel. Like, this is great, but it's a little short. And so there's something else that I recently finished a draft of that I'm pretty happy with that's like a... 30,000 word thing. And then there are two other uh, things in progress that are also like very much, I think are also going to probably fall into the novella slash short novel category that I'm eager to get. Like the, the main priority is, is, is is getting a draft done of political sign. But I also am hoping that I will have a little bit of time when I'm on this residency to work on them as well, because I haven't sat down and worked on them in a while. And they're kind of starting to itch at the back of my brain and kind of like, hey, you should write more and you should kind of make some more headway on this. You're preaching to the choir right now with with my book out now and like all the readings and a lot of stuff going on, like the projects that I want to be working on. It's just like, it's like a constant voice in the back of my head. It's like a constant guilty conscience kind of yeah. compunction, maybe, is a better word for it. Yeah. So I know what you mean. Well, um, when you're, when I was about to say political animal because of the magazine, political sign comes out. We should really, we should have another episode because we've been wanting to do kind of political episode. Maybe have Sugi and Wit on. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be cool. From fiction, nonfiction, because yeah. they, they're very, they that would be cool. politics and, uh, and literature. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But uh, b- before we sign off, I just, yeah. I have a, I have a question. You don't have to answer this. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, when you wrote that story, did you know the song that you were trying to think of? Or was it a, a like an echo? Like was it like a Because I, I know I know you weren't thinking of a song. That's kind of the point. Yeah. You weren't thinking of a song. But what was the idea like there was a was there an idea, like a wish for a song that had been covered up like, you know, so like I guess in in the spirit of I'm Muddy Waters, and now fucking Eric Clapton is doing some, like, you know, <laughs> some some rendition, like, on Layla, and it's blowing up now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think for me, it's like, the Buzzcocks were always a band that I would kind of heard about, you know, as, like, a young... So I, I'm an only child. Same. I, <clears throat> nice. Yeah. So a lot of my discovery of music was very, very, very happenstance. You know, I didn't really have... Like, you know, as as many of my friends did, like an older sibling to kind of be like, oh, here's this really cool thing Mm -hmm. you should check out. Mm -hmm. So I was like very much just like flailing around and like finding stuff here and there and, you know, occasionally still not really having any idea what I was doing. But eventually like and, and I think the Buzzcocks were always in the weird category of like a band that I would like read about as an influ as like being influential on bands that I listen to but there are certain bands where i'm like oh i know the first time i heard fugazi or public enemy or someone Mm -hmm. like that like Mm -hmm. i can remember being like oh this is what this is this is what all the fuss is about yeah but with the buzzcocks i really didn't like it was because it's like the first time i was like oh i'm going to sit down and listen to the buzzcocks i was like oh this is a buzzcocks song and so is this one and so is this one but like there wasn't, I did not have a similar thing of like, oh yeah, and the first time I heard this was totally on the radio or at a party mm-hmm. or like when a friend of mine sat me down and was like, you need to hear this band. Like, which is how, especially bands that I've like been listening to for over half my life, uh, you know, generally I have, 
you know, I have a story behind like, oh, this is how I first heard them or them or them. And I don't know where the hell that came. Like, so it's, it's this weird sense of like listening to the Buzzcocks where like there is this strange part of my brain that sort of thinks almost like these feel like these songs that just like one night I woke up just like having remembered them from, from somewhere uh-huh. else. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of trying to use this that very surreal uh, bit of, of Flash to hmm. kind of put that feeling, put that sensation into into something resembling language. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I like how you started off with we're, we're doing this analog and like you got <laughs> all of them on chalkboards yeah. and everything. That's yeah. cool. Because I, I recently heard someone refer to cigarettes as analogs. Oh, wow. Because, you know, and I love that. So don't you fucker <laughs> steal that from me. I'm okay. That. But, uh, hey, okay, I'm yeah. I'm going to... Awesome. I'm gonna. Is there anything else you want to add? I'm, I was gonna sign off. No, I think that's. I, I think that's all good to me. You're good. Thank you for being on, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks again, Tobias for Andrew. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Full right. circle. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Animal Riot Press or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 36th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Tobias Carroll. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay. This episode was cut by our podcast assistant, Dylan Thomas, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Belly.